0: Good morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Auggie Aguilera and I serve here as the Director of Contemporary Music and also serve, uh, officially today is my first Sunday in this role, as an LLP Here at First Lubbock, which is just United Methodist jargon for licensed local pastor. Which means that I do this on occasion. I preach and I oversee a few other uh, sacramental um, duties here at First Lubbock. Whatever pastoral duties that Bailey deems necessary and or fitting for him not to do in that particular moment, but uh, I'm glad. No, that is that is not at all how that works. Um, I'm glad to be uh, with you this morning and glad that you are here with us. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at the story that we just read in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at uh, Abram, or as we'll talk about him today, Abraham, right? His his name is changed, and we're also going to talk a little bit about him, but we're going to see who is this Abraham guy that we're talking about because you've probably read and heard a lot about him, so we're just going to kind of look over his resume, if you will. Abraham is a descendant of Noah, right? And he's this guy that in chap- chapter 17 of Genesis, God makes a covenant with. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he changes his wife's name from Sarah with an I at the end to Sarah with an H at the end. And he makes, God makes his covenant with Abraham. And there's a few promises that are worth pointing out that God makes to Abraham when he makes this covenant with him. And one of them is that God promises to give him descendants like there are stars in the sky, which is a which is an interesting promise at the time, because at that time Abraham's wife is barren; she is not able to have children. And so God makes this promise and says that your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, and and I will uh, I will you, your people will be my people, right? Um, God also makes this promise to Abraham to bless him that he will be a blessing to the world, that he will also be blessed. And that those who bless Him will be blessed. And in the same way, uh, God says that those whom you curse will be cursed. Or those who curse you, rather, will be cursed. And so God has gives Abraham this blessing, and there's kind of this secondary and almost this tertiary nature to that blessing, which he says that not only am I blessing you and will you be a blessing, but those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. And so Abraham is kind of working here with a little bit of, of, a, of an insurance policy, right? He's covered by God's all-inclusive protection plan to bless him and to take care of him and to take care of those who don't bless him and who curse him. And so in, in, in a way, he's kind of, got this insurance policy, right? And, and if, an, if an insurance policy or if any one thing, uh, if the guarantee of that thing is only as good as the person who makes it, well, he's got a, an insurance policy that's guaranteed by the creator of the universe, right? So it's a pretty good deal that Abraham is getting out of this thing. And so God makes his covenant with Abraham. And in modern culture, we understand and we see Abraham very much as a symbol of faithfulness Toward God. And so, this story that we read today, it's, it's worth mentioning that there are two other stories in chapter 20 and in chapter 26 of Genesis that are almost identical in a lot of ways. Deals in different places geographically and with some slightly different people. Um but but all the same this story happens three times almost in the exact same way and the story essentially goes like this you have Abraham and his wife who are traveling to a different place whether it's because they're roaming through the land that God has given them or because there's a famine like we read there's a famine and so Abraham travels down into Egypt and and when he gets there he's kind of thinking things over and he says now look my wife you are beautiful And when we get there, there are people who are also going to think that you're beautiful, and they may not like me very much because, as a matter of fact, they may kill me. So Abraham says, for my own sake, why don't we just say, you're not my wife? Let's just say, you're my sister. And then also in all of these stories, essentially what happens is, in this case, Pharaoh sees his wife and says, well, she is rather beautiful. I'm going to take her to be my own wife. So the leader, Pharaoh, takes the wife to be his own. But not because of an action that Abraham entered into or did, but because of God's intervention, God's provision in Sarah's life, the leader, in this case Pharaoh, comes to realize that indeed she is married and she is married to Abraham and that she is not available to be married to himself. So, Uh, the the Pharaoh gives the wife back and and in this instance he asks them to leave and so they leave and they go away back to their home. And so it's worth mentioning that in in all of these stories and in this one specifically that we're looking at today, the wives, right? Or in this case, Sarah. Sarah remains pure and without blemish. Not because, again, not because of what Abraham has done, but because of what God has done has done in her life because of God's provision in her life. And so, uh, you know, a little bit more about how we understand Abraham in our culture. Since I wasn't leading worship today, I thought it would be fun for them not myself, but for them to sing, you know, the children's song, Father Abraham. But then I thought about it some more, and I thought, they may not like me that much. They may not come back next week when I ask them to come play next Sunday. So we, we didn't do that. But but if you've heard the story, uh, it, you know, there's some pretty essential stuff in there about who Abraham is and how we understand him. And indeed, uh, we do see him as our father. He is a patriarch of the Jewish people. And uh, in Judaism, Abraham serves an important role because well he 's the guy like we just talked about that God makes his covenant with right Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish line, and this is the guy this is the guy that makes covenant with God or God rather makes covenant with that they still live under to this day. He makes the Jewish people his people set apart for the purpose of fulfilling god 's will through Abraham and the religion of Islam, Abraham serves as the direct link between the prophet Muhammad and Adam of our creation story, right? Connects, connects the prophet Muhammad to the God of Genesis and the God of the creation story that we read in Genesis. And then obviously in Christianity, in our own faith, Abraham serves as this father of faith person, he, is, uh, he, he's, he really personifies what it is to be faithful to God. Also, interestingly enough, essentially the rest of the Old Testament after these stories is about Abraham's descendants, right? About the Jewish people. Abraham is the patriarch of the house of Judah from which the Messiah will come. And so it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty much across the board everyone agrees. Abraham is a man of great faith. And we read in Romans 4, kind of echoing that idea, we read in, in chapter 4, verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was a faithful and righteous man. Abraham uh, grows up in this place. He's in the land of his father. Everything he's ever known, everything he's ever done, everyone he's ever known, everything about his life is in this place. And God comes to him one day and says, Abraham, I know that this is where you've been and where you are and everything that you know is here, but I need you to leave the land of your father and go to a place that I am giving you, a place that I am promising you. So just get up and go. And I find it interesting that Abraham, there's no recorded response here from Abraham to God when God calls him to leave this place. All we see in Scripture is it simply says, so Abraham went. You know, so this, there's, this, there's this faithfulness to God and this trust in God, and God's plan for his life to just get up and go, to leave everything behind that he knows and that he's familiar with. Abraham, as he goes along in this land that has been promised to him, as he goes along, he builds altars to God, he worships God, he names these places after his encounters with God, and he teaches his family to know who God is, to worship God, to honor Him, to be devoted to God. (laughs) Abraham is a righteous guy. Abraham is an Old Testament personification of faithfulness to God. So now that we've talked about all the the stuff Abraham has done well, we're gonna we're we're gonna be a little unfair, and we're gonna look at uh, one of his character flaws, right? Maybe the kind of stuff that may not get posted on Abraham Abraham's Instagram page, selfie of himself saying, last week in Egypt, this is what happened, right? Or maybe the kind of thing that he wouldn't, you know, air on Facebook, or maybe he would, I don't know. Um, Abraham's pretty righteous dude, so maybe not. But, but you know, th- we're going to talk about the kind of stuff that wouldn't make his highlight reel, that wouldn't be out there in social media, probably. Abraham, in all of his righteousness and faithfulness to God, Let's fear take hold and start to dictate the terms in his life rather than his trust and faith in God. He enters into this place. He goes to this place where he's, he's not a native of, right? In the story we read that he goes to a place, he's an outsider. He's not of their world and upon beginning to enter here, he starts to think, what if these people don't like me? Well, what if these people uh, believe that my wife is beautiful and that I don't deserve her? And well, they, they, they start to think they could just kill me. Well, maybe they will just kill me. Yeah, maybe it's not a smart idea for us to go in here saying that we're husband and wife. Maybe I just need to say that this is my sister so that they'll leave me alone. And, well, while we're here, we'll just deal with it however we have to deal with it until we get out. Because I, I'm not really sure what they're going to do to me. Abraham lets that fear begin to dictate his actions and his decisions rather than leaning into God's faithfulness, the promise, right? The insurance policy guaranteed by the Creator that he's been given. Rather than leaning back on that, he begins to let fear dictate his choices. So Abraham is put in this position of of fear of the unknown, if you will, and he begins... To, to, to question God's faithfulness to him and begins to allow his faith to slip away. But in the same way, Sarah is put in a difficult position. And, and I think that a lot of times we can level with Abraham where we, we, we operate out of fear and we begin to do things that maybe are out of character. And in a lot of times, we may also feel like Sarah. <laughs> Like our husband, our protector, the person or the people or the organization or the group of people that we look to to take care of us, to help, to protect us, to offer us protection has turned us out for their own good or for their own sake so that they can be kept from whatever harm might be coming to them. So what... (laughs) begs the question, what would Sarah have felt in that moment? How do we feel whenever we feel like we're thrown out and left to the mercy of the power of others by those who protect us, who care for us, who love us? How do we feel when we're thrown into the wind or when we're disowned or forgotten? So both Sarah and Abraham are kind of dealing, working out of this place of of fear and abandonment, right? Much like Abraham, we have these survival or these compensatory mechanisms we revert to in these moments when fear begins to take hold or when abandonment begins to take hold in our lives. In these moments, we feel that our protection or that insurance policy isn't enough. And so our protector or our protection has abandoned us, and we start to think, "Eh, we have to do this on our own. And here's, here's the thing about our faith is that our faith can be fickle and conditional. Amen? Amen? Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? Our faith can be conditional and fickle. Amen? We're, we're humans. We're humans. It's part of our nature. And just like Abraham was human for all of his righteousness and faithfulness toward God, we're humans. And our faith can be conditional. And fickle, and so it's easy for your faith in God to be strong, and it's easy for you to place your trust in God when things are going great. When everything seems to be breaking your way, and uh, you know, even even like when the small things like you go and you're like, oh man, like I lost three pounds last week. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, right? Has that ever happened to you? Because it's never happened to me. But maybe that's <laughs> happened to you, and that's a good thing, and I'm glad for you. Or maybe like when my wife's trying to pick me up and she says, honey, have you lost some weight? And I'm like, no, I know I haven't, but thanks for saying that because it makes me feel good, right? I, I make light of it, but honestly, when, when everything seems to be breaking our way, it's really easy for us to place our trust and our hope in God because, well, he's got our back and everything's breaking our way but when things get a little sticky when things get difficult our song can change really quickly amen amen when things get tough when life gets real things can change quickly because we're human and our faith like abraham's faith is not perfect So I want to invite you to to take a moment to to put yourself in Abraham's shoes and also to put yourself in Sarah's shoes. You have Abraham in this story who's out of fear of what might happen to him and out of a, a sense of protecting himself and who he is and what he is. He's using Sarah. He's abandoned Sarah. He's using her to protect himself. And then on the other side of the same coin you have Sarah who is being... Left out. She's being sold up the river. She's being abandoned by her husband in order for him to protect himself. So take a moment to consider what fears in our own lives can cause us to feel like either of these two folks. And if you're anything like me, there's a lot of stuff in there that pops up from time to time that can some little thing can remind you of this fear or this anxiety that you have about this thing that's over there and they can be big things they can be small things our fear of 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 status not having the right status in this world we live in a culture that's driven by who we're connected to and how we're connected to whom and in 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 this in this world sometimes it's difficult for us to get past the the place of status or or the the place of being that we think we need to be a part of this group of people that we think uh, we need to be in in order to feel good about ourselves in order to have the things that we need to have and there are other things that motivate that right the fear of not having enough money not being able to get the the amount or the kind of money that we need to achieve that kind of status or the fear of running out of money. <laughs> These are the things that help us to have the kind of life, the kind of uh, status, the kind of vacations that we get to post pictures about, the kind of joys in life that feel good and help us to feel like we've got this under control. The fear of not having enough time. My confession to you is that uh, my anxiety with time is probably one of the, the, the things I deal with the most. Um, there are a lot of things to get done every day, amen, amen. Come on, surely I'm not the only one. You're welling up my anxiety now. There are a lot of things to get done every day, amen, amen, amen. There's work, there's family, there's uh, working out and taking care of yourself, which I don't do enough of. There's School for me in my life. There's preparing for uh, a newborn daughter in just a couple of short months. There's taking care of my soul and doing all of those things that I know I need to do. And these aren't unholy or unrighteous things. These can be all good and holy and righteous things that consume our lives and for me can begin to drive me out of a place of anxiety that there's just not enough time. Fear about work, our jobs, not having the right job, not being able to uh, move up in the job that we have, or maybe not having a job at all. Fear of illness or poor health, fear in relationships and broken relationships and hurt relationships and unhealthy relationships, fear for our children and our families that they're their safety and their well-being and their health as well. And again, kind of the umbrella here, I think, for a lot of these things is fear of the unknown, that thing that was motivating Abraham so there 's a lot of things that we do when we begin to we, we let these fears begin to take root in us when we, we maybe they already have or maybe they 're beginning to or maybe some of these things are already festering deep within us and we we need to begin to deal with them. but there are things that begin to happen or things that we do there are compensatory mechanisms that we turn to, and one of those is work we tend to. Overwork in order to satisfy or in order, in order to calm down some of these fears that we have, because by overworking we can attain the money and the status and the vacations, and we can be a part of the group of people that we need to be a part of. We can be a part of uh, the organizations that we need a part of. We be a part of. We can do the things that we need to do ourselves without any other help. To take care. Of those fears in our lives, we can overwork, we can also overrest or sometimes just not rest at all whenever uh, our life begins to feel overwhelming, and we, we really don 't know how to begin to to get all the things done we need to do, or we don 't know how to go about you know fixing this problem that we have over here. sometimes the easiest thing for us to do is just try to forget about it and, and think about something else, and sometimes where we pervert rest is that we call things that are not rest rest right god calls us to rest and to fully rest in him and to replenish our soul and i don't know about you but the last time i sat and watched netflix for hours in a row i did not feel refreshed amen i just think to myself what did i do just wasted all this time And so, you know, these things that we think are rest and that maybe feel restful because it allows us to forget the stuff that's weighing on us, the stuff that truthfully God is calling us to deal with and to work through because His faithfulness and His provision will see us through it. These things that we think are rest are not really rest. And of course, we worry. We let anxiety take hold of us. And drive us. Times we may feel like we've been abandoned, and so we try, we try our best to convince ourselves that we can do it on our own, that we have things covered. And when we do this, when we do this, hear this, when we do these things, we diminish God's power, we diminish God's creativity, and we diminish God's love for us. Let me say that again. When we enter into these compensatory mechanisms and we allow our fear and our anxiety to drive our life rather than our faith and trust in God who has promised to care for us, to be faithful to us, when we let our faith slip away because of the stuff in our lives, we diminish God's power, we diminish God's creativity, and we diminish God's love for us. And in all of this, we feel that it's just up to us to take care of everything, that our protector, that our husband, that our protection, that our, the promises, the insurance policy, the promises that God has made to us are not enough. But in, in these moments of distress, in these moments when anxiety and, and fear overwhelm us, there's, there's things that we can point to that remind us that God loves us. In Isaiah chapter 43, we read this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, God has promised to be faithful to us. He's given us our own insurance policy guaranteed by the Creator of the universe. And and these words just aren't empty. These aren't empty things that God is saying. These are not empty promises. God has already fulfilled these promises. God has given us the gift of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The blood shed on the cross. Jesus dying, overcoming the power of hell, ascending and sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory. God has already fulfilled His promise in Jesus. And we read a little bit about what that's going to look like in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder pearls crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. You see... God, unlike Abraham, whose faith was not perfect and whose faith was conditional and whose faithfulness to God faltered, God's faithfulness towards us is perfect. And in moments when our fear, like Abraham, when our anxiety of the unknown, like Sarah, begin to well up in us all we need to do, (laughs) is to turn to God and to lay that stuff down at the foot of the cross and to submit to His will in our lives. Sarah remained pure and righteous because of God's intervention through the actions of the others that Abraham feared. It wasn't anything that Abraham did. It was God's intervention into Sarah's life through Pharaoh that allowed Sarah to remain pure. And God will continue to move and to work in our lives in this way. Jesus paid the price for us and has made a way for us, the church, to be the bride, to be made ready, to be be made pure and righteous in the sight of God when He comes again. You see, church, this is the God that we're being called to place our trust, we're being called to place our faith and our hope in. A God who offers us grace before we know we need it the God who sends His Son to make us clean, white as snow to justify us through the sacrifice and power of His own blood on the cross. This is the God whose faithfulness is perfect, is a God who can overcome the power of hell and lead us to sanctification, to be made ready, and to be, as we read in Revelations, to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure when He comes again. This is our God who calls us to a place of hope, to place our hope, our trust, and our faith in Him. This is a God who calls us into communion with Himself. Let's pray.